Hello, my name is Alexandra Baton-Bailey, and welcome to the Beyond the Podium podcast series. This podcast series is on teaching and learning, and our guests offer their best tips, strategies, innovations, and stories about teaching. In this episode, we're going to talk about standards-based grading with Professor Kevin Knudsen, who is the chair of the math department at the University of Florida, the undergraduate coordinator. Kevin is also a member of the Academy of Distinguished Teaching Scholars, and he is a tireless advocate for creative thinking and teaching to the benefit of all students. You know, when I was about 14 or whatever, I decided I was, uh, was going to go to college, then I was going to go to graduate school and get a PhD in math and be a college professor. No one in my family had ever gone to college, and I thought, well, I'm just going to keep going. And I just loved mathematics. But I always wanted to be a professor. You know, I, I love my research program, but boy, I love teaching because if nothing else, if my research is going poorly or whatever, I can go give a good lecture, you know. And, and, I, and I, I, I still love that sort of spark of, uh, of, of realization in students that they, they, when they finally sort of get something. Kevin loves teaching. He loves to see that moment of understanding. But math, much like foreign languages, can be the stumbling block for many students. Kevin came across the realization that the way students were being assessed was less than ideal. This begins with a question, which is, uh, what does it mean for a student to get an 85 on a test? You know, you, you give an exam, and through some scheme, you put a number on it, like 85, and what does that mean? And most students go, oh, I got an 85, great. But what, what does it really mean? Does it mean that the student knew most of the material mostly? You know, like sort of got, you know, four-fifths credit on every question? Or does it mean that they knew 85% of the material completely? And which is better in some sense? Um, and so because grades in this way, in that, you know, when you, when you just put a number on a, on a piece of paper, it's completely unclear what it even means. You have no sense of, I mean, once the paper is gone from you and all you see is the number, you have no idea what that student knows. And so uh, the idea behind standards-based grading is to, to sort of make the scheme finer in the sense of, okay, instead of giving you one big exam where I'm going to put a number on at the end and that number is going to define you moving forward, let's break this into smaller pieces that we can assess individually. So, I mean, I'll use mathematics as an example because it's my own discipline, but in a calculus class, you know, a first semester calculus class, there are all sorts of things around the derivative that you want students to understand. So there's various, can you just compute some of them? Can you, do you know various rules for calculating derivatives? Can you use derivatives to um, solve related rates questions? Can you use them for approximation? Can you uh, use them to, to find optimal values for things. So those are sort of the main applications. And if you just have one big test where all that's on there, you don't know what the student knows and what they don't know. So instead, you, you, have, you have a single assessment for, okay, this assessment is about the chain rule, whatever that is, okay? And then the student can, you know, prove through doing a few uh, sample problems that they understand it or they don't. And there are various ways to aggregate scores for all of this. You could make an assessment all or nothing, like it has to be perfect or they don't pass. Or maybe you can, you know, sort of 
aggregate points, you give them two or three assessments, and if they can accumulate a certain number of correct things out of those three, then you can say that they've mastered that concept. Uh, I tend to do the all or nothing, where then students have lots of chances to do it. What's great about it is, first of all, you then, at the end of the semester, you don't have a number. You have a, you have a list of things that the student has mastered. You still have to turn that into a grade because that's what universities do. We, we give grades. But you can, you know, you have a certain number of these things. Then it's sort of, you can say, okay, say there are 15 of these things. All right, you have to get 12 of them. You have to master 12 things to get an A, 10 to get a B or whatever. And what's even better is, and I did this in my class, I think there are two fundamental applications of differential calculus that if you can't prove that you've mastered those, you cannot earn an A in the course. Even if you mastered 12 and you didn't master these these particular two, I'll give you an A minus, but I won't give you an A because you can't do the thing that really you should be able to do. So you can even get those sorts of, of, of even finer gradations. This idea of being able to finally sift through what students were really capable of, what they had truly mastered, sparked Kevin's curiosity. How could a different means of assessment change a student's experience and transform their learning? A bunch of math teachers and math professors are sort of chatting about standards-based grading. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Let me look into this a little bit. And then I read a few articles or blog posts and things like that. And I thought, okay, you know, let's give this a try. This was a bit risky in a certain sense, right? Because, you know, for example, I did it in calculus and, you know, I had a section of 100 students. And then the other 1,700 students in, in calculus one were taking the more traditional large lecture. And, you know, what if my students didn't like it? What if it just didn't work? What if it just crashed? What if these students didn't learn anything? You know, um, luckily it didn't crash. They did learn something. Some of them, and I'll, I'll be completely honest, some of them didn't like it. They just, you know, they were like, nope, I want to go sit in a big lecture. Now, I, I mean, I think it's because they didn't want to feel obligated to come to class and really participate. I was also flipping the classroom at the same time. So that, you know, some students don't like that. They wanted to zone out in a lecture. But they all did like the standards-based aspect because they felt like, you know, I've got a chance. I've always got a chance, you know. And they did. And they all did really well. I didn't I didn't fail anybody. Um, you know, a couple people dropped and then, you know, a couple people got C's, but that's okay. That's going to happen no matter what. Kevin's first try at using standards-based grading worked. Despite his apprehensions and those of others, it worked. And not only did it work, but the results and impacts were remarkable. When you hand papers back to students, you know, they'll say, well, why did I lose three points for this? Even if you give them a rubric, they'll still argue sometimes about, well, can I have two points here? And three? You know, what's a point? You know, point, you know when, when, when you have these things, points are things that the, the instructor has, like, I've got a pot of points and I'm going to... I'm going to hand them out to you, you know. Well, what good is that? I don't want to argue about points. That's ridiculous. So when, they, when you hand back these assessments, what's nice is you can, you can say to them, look, you didn't master this. Let's talk about why you didn't master this. Because there is no giving you more points so that you can say that you mastered it. It's you didn't. So what's wrong? And how can you, you know, what, what needs to evolve in your understanding so that you can then demonstrate that you have mastered it later? And another advantage of this is, you know, sometimes it just takes time for stuff to click in. So you've got some topic in the middle of the course that's kind of heavy duty, and you give one test on it in the middle of the course, and the student doesn't really get it yet, and they bomb that test, you know, 
And then they never really have another chance to prove it to you until maybe the final where you throw one question on there. Does everybody have to learn at the same pace? You know, maybe the student will get it if they have a little more time to demonstrate that they've gotten it. So for all these reasons, it's really a nice mechanism. Standards-based grading is a system that embeds learning in the assessment process by allowing students to persist at their learning. They can give mastering a competency their best shot multiple times, and for most, until they master it. Once you come up with a metric for anything, and this is, in the end, just another metric, they will optimize for that metric. You know, this, this is rational human behavior. Um, so some of them will want to just get stuff out of the way as quickly as they can and then just kind of forget about it because, you know, I'll, I'll still have a final exam at the end, but they just have to pass it. And so if they've mastered everything, they can probably pass the final exam and not have to study very hard for it because it doesn't really factor into the grade that much. But what it, what it, what it encourages more than sort of long-term learning even more is just sort of this, uh, this idea that, well, you know, you can't get it every, you can't get everything on the first try. So it, it allows for better persistence and, you know, students don't get discouraged so quickly if they just, you know, they bomb one thing, they figure, well, I guess I better drop this class. So what I've discovered when I do this is that, um, you know, grade distributions, they might skew slightly higher under the scheme because students have more chances to prove themselves. But what's been most, uh, you know, uh, useful about all this is that uh, when we've done it, I mean, I've done it and some of my colleagues have done it. And so we do see lower drop rates. I mean, so for example, um, one of my colleagues did this in calculus and she started with a hundred students in a flipped classroom, which is too many, but we've, we've done it. And um, I think, I think she had three students drop, you know, I mean, a 3% drop rate is phenomenal. And again, it's because this idea that, you know, it just feels more possible and more nurturing, you know, it's not so high stakes at any given turn. It is the idea that any skill is within reach, that any skill is achievable for students, that makes it so different than other types of testing. It removes the added barrier of anxiety that high-stakes, one-shot exams often produce in students. You know, I, I don't like high-stakes tests. Nobody does. Well, I mean, some people don't care. Some people don't think about it. It's like, well, this is what we do. This is how we've always done it. We're just going to keep doing it this way. And students are kind of used to it, and they stress about it, but, you know... Um, and, and more and more, uh, you know, and you've probably noticed this too in your classes, I mean, there's more and more students are registered with the DRC um, for things like test anxiety. We, we, can, we can talk about that, you know, as much as we want, but it does exist. And so we have to begin to wonder, I mean, why do we do this to students, right? I mean, they stress out. They're so, you know, I mean, of course, grades are too much a part of of, of the academic culture, but it doesn't have to be that way. And if we can sort of take the high stakes aspect out of it, then there's really less to stress about. I mean, now to be fair, I mean, I say there's no stress in my class. Yeah, there is. Sure there is. Because once a student has, you know, not mastered something three times and they're on their fourth attempt, and I generally, you know, I say at the beginning, you have four attempts. Okay. They're starting to stress a little bit. However, they're just stressing about this one the one little concept, you know, instead of this whole test where they don't know what's going to be on it. It's four weeks of material. And, it, you know, there's going to be problems from this, that, this, that, this, that. And, I, you know, it's overwhelming. It's so much to do, you know. And, 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 and sort of the other downside of high-stakes testing is 
once you leave the university, you know, you're not going to be in high stakes tests. You know, to be sure, there are certain professions where you are going to have to perform in high pressure situations. You know, and and so, you know, but I, I I'm not really sure that taking a test prepares you for those sorts of things. I think all they do is just sort of stress everybody out and and kind of make you know turn students off to to learning. I mean, you know, coming to the university should be you know mind expanding, right? I mean, we we should be modeling this idea of of intellectual curiosity. And trying to get our students to see that, you know, I mean, yeah, you're here. This is just four years. You know, you're never going to stop learning. Um, and there aren't going to be tests about it later. And uh, I think when we put too much pressure on or, or too much emphasis on the testing, then, you know, it becomes this thing where students just cram, 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 vomit it out onto the paper, and then they forget about it. Um, and, you know, what was gained there? You know, I don't know. So... Standards-based grading is at least one method to try to deal with that. My husband is a physician, and in the last century, he was in medical school. And one of his most distinct and traumatic memories was the stress and anxiety of the once-a-month Saturday all-day exams that covered all the material they had learned in the previous month. All the students would cram all day and night, filling their minds like overstuffed balloons that would deflate instantly as soon as the exam was over. Whether in math or medicine or any other field, testing and assessment that builds on learning and adds to learning is invaluable. The adaptability to other fields, it's certainly no problem. It's easier in, you know, more quantitative or scientific things where it's easier to discretize your uh, your, your your syllabus, right? In other words, you know, okay, I want you to know how to be able to you know, discuss this kind of chemical reaction or, you know, um, you need to understand, you know, uh, uh, you know, Maxwell's equation for electromagnetism and all this stuff. I hope I got that right. Um, I haven't thought about physics in a while. Um, you know, anyway, you know, so it's sort of, you know, the, the relationship between electri- electricity and magnetism through a wire and the current and the magnetic field and all that stuff. I mean, you know, in other words, that's, that's a discrete thing that you can talk about or in biology, you know, you talk, talk about various things. That said, I mean, I think in in the social sciences and the humanities, you could still do this. I, I think you'd have to, and and truthfully, I think it goes on a lot more than people realize. It's just not stated as such. You know, once you once you identify the key things that you want your students to come away with, then you can probably, and I can imagine in a humanities course, for example, you know, there's certain themes that you might want them to be able to to you know, demonstrate knowledge of. And you could probably do those with some sort of small assessments. I mean, you you tend to have larger writing projects where that's the synthesis, you know. So there's 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 two aspects, right? There's the there's the you know sort of the the gaining of knowledge, you know. Can you, you know, this is Bloom tech, Bloom's taxonomy business, right? Even in a, you know in a humanities course, there is core knowledge that you want them to get, and you can assess that. And then there's the synthesis part that you know probably isn't quite as immediate, you know, you, but you don't want them to break it apart. That's the whole point. You're putting it together. So even in mathematics, even though you know I, I break it into these things, the truth is some of these other standards that that I assess, that's where the synthesis is. Because being able to solve an applied optimization problem is going to require, first of all, that you understand what the derivative is, that you can calculate some of them, that maybe the functions involved are kind of weird. Can you set up the problem correctly? You know, all these things, you really are pulling it. It's word problems, right? And you know, students are. Well, maybe you don't, but I do. They'll say, are there going to be word problems? You know, 
My answer is life is a word problem. So <laughs> get used to it. So I think it's entirely possible to at least have some portion in any discipline done in this way. I think you have to think about, you know, what those kinds of things you can individually assess in sort of smaller discrete chunks are and then make it, you know, 20% of the grade or whatever you feel like is appropriate. But it's still a nice way where students can, you know, demonstrate, you know, and maybe they don't understand it the first time around, you know, and they might have to, you know, revise and resubmit just which is essentially what goes on a lot in the humanities. Standards-based grading can work in other fields. But how does it work for the faculty who are trying to implement it in their classes? What is that experience like? As far as how much work it is, yeah, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Now, so uh, the first time I did this, I had, uh, I had one TA, and she was an engineering student. Um, engineering was helping to support this. And, I mean, she was great. She had done this before as an undergrad. Um, you know, and, and, and so we had – I, I kind of had too many standards. I had, I had 25, you know, which in retrospect was, was sort of too many. But I had sort of core ones and then advanced ones. And so to, to pass the course, you had to master all the core and then certain number of the advanced to, to get various letter grades. And my, my TA worked very hard. She had office hours all the time. You know, we allowed four attempts at each assessment. So you have to track how many times each student has taken each assessment. So that's a massive spreadsheet you have to keep up with. You have to grade all of those. Now, luckily, they're, they're pretty quick to grade. I mean, you know, any given assessment would have, you know, three or four problems, sometimes only two, you know, if they were more complicated. Um, but, you know, with 100 students times four is 400, times 25. It's 1,000 pieces of paper potentially that you have to grade. Hopefully, they master stuff early so that you know, you're only grading one or two attempts at everything. But yeah, it can be a significant amount of work. Standards-based grading is a lot of work. It's an investment, one that requires significant planning to be successful. So logistics of you know, how do you do this? When do you do it? Um, because, you know, you could imagine a scenario in which this kind of takes all your class time if you, if you don't plan properly. Um, you know, luckily it was, this was, we do this in four credit courses where they meet with me three days a week and the TA one day a week. So that's the, the TA one day a week is an obvious time for, for doing these assessments, but you know, you can't do that many, two in a 50 minute period, maybe three. And so it gets to be a bit of a, of, a, of a logistical mess just trying to keep that straight. Now, some of my colleagues have done it. You know, I was the first one to do it in our department. And so I was just trying to figure it out as I went. Uh, I think my, some of my colleagues since then have streamlined it a bit more to where, okay, we're going to have assessments on this day, and these are the ones that are available. That's it, you know. Uh, whereas towards the end of the semester, I was kind of making everything available well, because you had to in some sense because yeah. some students yeah. still need to master some things. Um, I was letting everything available, you know, and I'd have to lay out, you know, 25 piece stacks of paper, you know, at the front of the room. And students just come and, you know, we'd, we'd have evening assessment times where, you know, we'd have here's two hours. Let's do it. You know, here's three hours on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Just come and do it. But I still believe it's worth it. In the end, both TAs and students agree that the effort was well worth it. And there are ways of streamlining the process of standards-based grading. So I've had TAs who are now teaching their own classes, and they want to do it this way because they recognize 
the the value of this method for for their students and you know like, yeah it's work but they figured out they're smart they're smarter than I am they figure out ways to streamline this and um, and it's it's proven to be rather successful they, you know and the students like it and I think everybody walks away with a more positive feeling about it that positive feeling is really valuable in fact it demonstrates how dedicated Kevin is to seeing students succeed even in the most difficult classes. Math's the one subject where it's acceptable to say you hate it and you know, you're know you no good at it, right? And I think part of that is precisely because we have high-stakes tests. We have, you know, it's all or nothing. It seems like this random collection of rules um, and, and, and algorithms that just sort of you're just supposed to memorize them and do them, which is, of course, not at all how mathematicians think about anything. But if you can eliminate that sort of high-stakes arbitrariness that it often feels like, then I think you can begin to get students to see that, oh, well, you know, maybe this, maybe I can do this after all. That's really the whole, the whole point. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond the Podium podcast series. We're happy you joined us, and we hope to see you next time for more tips, strategies, ideas on teaching and learning at the University of Florida.